Welcome to the Lucent Lands podcast. We have identified the need for a platform where industry leaders and innovators in the agricultural sector can share their stories and inspire others. We hope you enjoy listening to this as much as we enjoyed speaking to these people. Welcome. You know, a TV interview, you've got maximum three or four minutes to say your piece. But uh, yeah. I think right now the, the issues are bigger than three or four minutes. But we don't want to talk about issues on there. We, we <laughs> Let's just, talk about something exciting. We, we want to, there's, just, there's enough issues for people to worry about. It's, yeah. And people, when they, I think when a lot of people listen to one of these things and the people we talk to, they kind of expect that you talk about issues. Yeah. Mm. But all the issues are the same with everybody, so it's going to be a repetitive thing. Yeah. I mean, we, we had a meeting this morning with Resolve Communication, Brent and myself. They obviously assisted us to get over the line or, or to uh, get the whole business with a strike. So, yeah, I mean, uh, but to try and get the right level of communication that raises the profile and creates the urgency and instead of just like banging on the drum and saying you must, you must, you must, you know, trying to get the balance. You're talking about with, with government? With government in okay. particular to try and get the, um, you know, not to make it, not to make it noisy, but when that's that's mine, yeah. When the when the um, when the risk for inaction becomes too much for them, and that's that's the bit that we no sugar for me, thanks. But I will have some. One of, the, one of the things we are also wanting to do, we actually wanting to go and speak to to people in government, and hear what has been done, what is happening. So maybe you could you must also tell us who we should speak to. Well, I mean, I think Minister Dadiza is 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 going to do her best, eh? but you have to see it within the wider context of the the whole government function. And what is very clear in my mind is that there's nowhere near the level of accountability when it comes to trade and market access, you know, the kind of facilitation for economic growth. You know, there's a more of a lot of talk shopping, but no real accountability. Mm. And I mean, we, we know that accountability is an issue in South Africa, full stop. But at the trade level, there's just not proper accountability. And I mean, even if you look at the Far East, which is the most critical market for us to develop. How many agricultural trade attaches do we have in the Far East? Do you know? No, please tell us. One, covering the, the whole, whole of the Far East. That's it. And they're based where? I think they are now based in, been just, only just deployed to China. But the Far East is not China. There's a multitude There's so of, much of, of countries there, and they are by no means the same. And I mean, I've just come back from a trade delegation visit to Hanoi and Bangkok. 
I mean, we didn't meet with anybody from the opposing side. You know, we just met with our ambassadorial staff. And I have to be honest, it took every single bit of my resolve and holding on with both hands to the seat not to get up and throttle those people. You know, because it's, oh, we can do nothing. It's out of our hands. You know, it's But then why are they there? <laughs> that was exactly my bag. My point is like pack your bags, get back to South Africa and start saving the taxpayers some money because you're a waftam if you're over there and you're not doing anything. Sorry, a waftam is not very polite. I was wondering, I didn't want to ask. <laughs> well, you can understand what the F is. That's the easy bit. Waste of time and money. Mm. Yeah. You know, and, and so, and these are markets that are absolutely critical for us if we want to grow our economy and create real employment opportunities. And the other aspect that, that in my view is completely devoid in this country is the ability to understand the quid pro quo opportunity. Because when you're asking for market access, you say, I want to sell blueberries to you. They say, that's fine. We want, to buy, we want you to buy our toasters. Yes. We don't produce toasters. No brainer. Let's swap. Uh, but then they say, hey, if you want to send toasters, we want uh, 30% um, import duty so that we can uh, create an environment for us to then start producing toasters sometime in the future. Okay, well, we then want 30% for your blueberries so that our people can produce blueberries. Well, you can't produce blueberries in Thailand. Oh, okay, well then, do we need the 30%? You know, all that kind of mm. that kind of negotiating yes. and trading and 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 that needs to happen. And I mean, what I understand is is that we just for India, we just gave them mangoes, lychees, and I don't know what some I can't remember exactly mm. what it is, but we just handed it to them on a plate. No quid pro quo. No, uh, hang on, we need to get the protocol for apples uh, improved, or we need to get access for something else. We just hand it to them on a plate. And I mean, I understand that the USA has applied to South Africa to export or, or so that you can import blueberries into South Africa. From the States? From the States. Okay. Which is probably not a bad thing. You know, we do have some supply gaps, so maybe that can be filled by the states. They are in the northern hemisphere. Yeah. Biggest blueberry-producing country in the world, maybe. No, it will be overtaken by Peru this year. Okay, but I don't think they've even had... So there's no formal approach from government to Berry ZA to say, what do you guys think about this? What? It's just happening without them consulting you at it's all. It's happening in some other sphere, in some other realm, but you're not talking to the recognized industry organization that represents blueberry growers or, or berry growers in South Africa. I mean, how pathetic is that? It's unbelievable. You know? And so we have a completely incapacitated state. 
and any attempts that the fruit industry, because we have, or they have, I wasn't particularly part of it at the time, and I'm not part of it anymore, but that had people in the embassies dealing with these issues, but because they were then seen to be watchdogging the non-performing governmental employees, they were just sidelined and pushed into a corner and became ineffective. Instead of partnering and really driving the process forward to actually achieve the results. Because, I mean, the food industry will put people in markets uh, to enable us to get market access. We are that desperate. You know, we can capacitate it, we can fund it, because it has uh, uh, has the ability to unlock value in our in our in our industries in South Africa. We've seen it with with uh, with those Chinese inspections, the live stream inspections we've done. The fruit industries said it must be done now. We will foot the bill. We will make sure it happens. Um, and navigated but, but, and but negotiated it's, it's, it's the a, way forward. It's an intergovernmental. That was with the, Chinese market, with the Chinese market, but as you say, there's China and then there's the rest of Asia. And so when and how will, will this happen if we have not got government assistance? It's a, prob- it's a massive problem. So I, I, I can't answer that. And, 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 it's, and it's so tediously slow. Yet if you look at uh, Peru, who's our biggest competitor for blueberries, and you just see what they're able to achieve. They have their government behind them, helping them, and it's all happening. And they have a, I don't know, I mean, you know, what are we defending here in South Africa? What are we really defending? And, and, and that, that limits our ability to sign free trade agreements, to, to get uh, market access um, processes completed. You know, it's just, it, it, and I mean, Peru is opening two markets a year now for okay. the last five years, you know. They just open these markets. But even up in Africa, African countries are opening up eastern markets. Quickly. Yeah. Zambia has access for blueberries into China, but that's because China owns. But through which port? Well, pass, I don't know. Probably air freight, mm. but um, and there's very little blueberries grown in Zambia anyway. There's only a couple of small operations there currently. But you know, China owns the Zambian electricity power or the power supply system. And that's why <laughs> they need to find a way to to balance their payments, you know, or balance their trade. And that's that's the other irony. South Africa, the only way South Africa can currently balance their trade is in resources and in agricultural products. Because we don't manufacture anything in this country. Not anymore. Not anymore, no. And we don't value add anything in this country because the environment in which organizations and companies have to flourish is so anti-competitive or so uncompetitive, not anti-competitive, so uncompetitive I mean, just had the power go on and off. Yes. I remember years ago, we used to joke about the Zimbabweans and say, what did they used to have 
What did they used to use for light before they used candles? Mm. They had electricity. That was a joke. Sadly, yeah, it's, it's no funny, longer though. a joke. It's not funny. You know, I burned through a million rands worth of diesel in July, and in August, I had to pay my account in the middle of the month because I'd run out of credit limits. I was burning so much diesel to keep this business going. And I have to, you know, I'm, 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 I've got two commercial pack houses for which I have to keep the lights on because I'm not at liberty to, yes. to stop. And I mean, it's so, it's the, the, the labor law is just completely against me as well. I can't have them standing here for two hours and not pay them, you know, because, but it's outside of my control. It's outside of their control, but I have to foot the bill. So I choose to burn through diesel. That's, I don't know. You know, there's the time for industry leaders to use quiet diplomacy to bring about change, in my view, is gone. And, and I mean, that's why I was prepared to be a very loud noise when it came to the port strike, because I just cannot believe that it's, it's in our interest to just keep quiet anymore. Everybody's talking about it. It's, 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 it's got to come to a stop, and, and, and industries, and, and business leaders have got to stand up and say, so far and no further. You know, it, it's Indeed. And, 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 and what, I, what, what I fail to understand is, is that in, in the rhetoric, they say they support agriculture and that they want to grow ag agriculture, and that agriculture has been the star, mm. yet they are allowing us to be systematically, uh, our profitability to be systematically eroded by making it harder and harder for us to do business. But also I think they see agriculture as the woman sitting on his dusty farm in the Karoo. They don't see that product arriving in a cold container at the harbour as agriculture anymore. Yeah. They, I, I think that there's a, there's a gap in, in the, not uh, education is not the right word, but there's a gap in know-how yeah. as to where it came from and how it got there and what must happen with it. I think you're right. I think there's an awareness issue with, you know, that the, 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 the cold chain, actually, if you want money from overseas, you actually have to make the stuff work. Mm -hmm. What, what, I mean... Well, we take a lot of visitors through our facilities here. You know, they're they're interested. You know, for yeah. whatever reason, you know, and they might they might be friends and family. They might be suppliers of other products. And and when you explain to them the technical detail of what you do here, I mean, apples and pears. Okay, we've got let's call it fourteen varieties. We break those fourteen varieties into over a thousand different derivatives. You know, whether it be size or color or gray, but you know, there's more than a thousand derivatives. And, That's actually and, and, quite phenomenal. Yeah, and so I mean, the complexity of what we do here is massive, mm -hmm. um, and 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 that's in 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 a desire to create value and to distribute that product 
to more than 80 countries across the world, you know, and to target those derivatives that you make for the people that are going to pay the mm. best money for it to get the best value back to the farmer at mm. the end of the day. Without working ports and without market access, you're dead in the water. Yeah, you know, that... You, you can survive. You know, you can become uber-efficient. And, and, and credit to my farming guys, they are really one of the best teams, you know, around here. And uh, not just around here, in South Africa as a farming team, these guys are right at the top of their game. And, and the responsibility for us as, as business owners and, and, and the guys that are in the value chain downstream of them is, is, is to support them and make them, you know, able to do better and better. And, and, but we have to have a functional, enabling environment in which this thing to, to go to the next level. Yeah. I mean, we can grow. You know, yeah. we, can, we can scale what we've got. We can replicate what we've got. We can take people along with us. We can... Uh, bring new generations of farmers uh, into into the business and 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 mentor and lead and teach them to do what we do because that's what happened to me and I must do that for the next generation and that, I'm not talking about my children I mean yes it would be great if it's my children but if it's other you know if it's if it's the next generation of farmers which will be very different even from my generations of farmers. We will be farming very differently, and we will be able to incorporate vast different, vastly different, different skill sets mm-hmm. into agriculture because it is not, as you say, the wummy sitting on the stupin. Mm-hmm. It's now proper business with technological advancements, and 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 that really, I mean, we had the the, the what are the technological advancements in agriculture? Irrigation, agrochem, mechanization. Those are the three. And what are, what what's next? Aeroponics. Yeah. Now it's and yeah. The, and, and then also like the, the things that aerobotics does, the aerial surveys of the, 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 the options is, is technical adoption is what's gonna get us mm. to the to the next level to be able to feed this world. Yes. But you've gotta have the money, the time and the ability to go and investigate and, and, yes. and, and experiment and to learn how these things work. But we're just so busy fighting for our existence, you know, to do what is should be simple. So to um, connect with what you said earlier, that the time has, has passed, we, we just take and just have to put up with it. Industry leaders and so on, do you have a suggestion? Do you have any ideas? Have you spoken to anybody? Is there any kind of plan going forward? I know these are difficult questions, but I don't we know. have our backs I... to the wall here. But So I'm going to be careful about what I say because I, I obviously have a lot of respect for the Justin Chadwick's the the Anton Rabers, even my colleague Brent, you know, with the greatest respect. You know, those guys are doing what they can. 
Yeah, they're doing the best they can under the circumstances. But who's the people with the skin in the game? Mm. You know, where are the where are the Justins, the Charles Rousseaus, the um, Pete Carsten, you know, and and I've put my my name in that ring very carefully because I'm not even in their league, you know, I'm I'm not. But you know, the people with the skin in the game need to somehow find a way to collaborate and create voice and to bring about real influence. Because yes, the 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 the, the industry organizations are the mouthpiece for for those industries. But do they have the real fire to kind of light a bomb that says, you know, so far and no further. I don't know. You know, or are we just going to be a bunch of farmers that sell up our, our businesses and go and live on the Riviera? I don't know, you know. Because that's the option, huh? You know. That is the option. Yeah, but then the next guy sits with the same problem. Well, but... But then it's not you. <laughs> it's not my problem. It's somebody else that okay. has to, to, to fight, the, fight the battles and to carry on suckling, you know. Because you, you, I mean, I will never give up. I will never give up. But, we, you know, there's, there's some stage where the fight has got to go out. And, I, and I'm scared of that moment for myself. You know, when that, fight, a, when that yep. fight runs out. Yep. Uh, we, we're starting a tradition with our, with our podcast to try and connect our different, um, our different guests. guests with each other. And the previous, we asked the previous guest for a, for a question for the following guest, mm. anonymously. So the question I have for you from, the, from this morning's guest... Has been answered. Has almost <laughs> been answered, but I'm going to ask it to you and see how you respond. How do we remain positive in South Africa with the challenges that we have? That was the question, and I think you, you've addressed it. So but I, I'm, I'm giving it to you straight on. I'll tell you how I do it. Hmm. In my little world here, in Chilton Farms, PTY Limited, I am going to create I will create a shining beacon of hope for this country. It's wonderful. Because and it's wonderful to have people like you who will stand up under very difficult circumstances and say that. Because you know what? The buck has to stop somewhere. Mm. And if people like you don't take it forward and don't make it work, where will we be then? 
So thank mm. goodness for people like you. Yeah, I mean, it's particularly tough and it's particularly emotive and I'm, I'm out of energy right now. So we caught I came you back on... Uh, I came back on Saturday and on Wednesday when I was in Asia Fruit Logistica, I got notified of an intention to strike by our labor. Oi, oi, oi. I'm employing 1,800 people as we sit here today. And I'm creating a livelihood for 1,800 people. And we have averted the strike at a cost to the company. And we have to move on and carry on. And I will not waver from the vision of a shining beacon of hope because if we don't have that, we have absolutely nothing. Well, thank you, thank you for us seeing us under difficult circumstances. Yeah, those, the, I'm the, so sorry that we caught you at a bad moment. The framework in which we have to operate. I mean, we've got to get labor out of government. Government governs. Business creates business. Labor provides labor. You can't have the three embroiled and entwined with one another. And certainly not in government. And you can't have a government that has a, a, a failed ideology. You can't have a mix of ideologies. It's either one or the other. You, there's no middle road here. You know, there's no... Yes, people have to... We understand the right of labor to protest and to what, what, and to do all of that stuff. No problem. I haven't got any problem with that. But the law can't be vague. And the government must provide an enabling environment that creates the opportunity for entrepreneurs like myself and others to create endless opportunities. Because by God, in the last 10 years, I've taken this business from employing 400 people to 1,800 people. And I mean, and... and that's, a, that's phenomenal. No, it's incredible, man. And, and every one of those people has dependents as well. Yeah. So if you go and look at the multiplier of what, you're, what you as a grower, the people the people that work for you, and then all the service providers that provide. I mean, if, if you kill the grower, you kill an entire community. And, and oh, well, it's, it's like Nick Dyson said the other day, the growers are running a small municipality, actually. With, on their farms. Yeah. Because mm. yeah. they've got schools, they've got clinics, they've got creches, they've got... Mm. Yeah, and I mean, you know... We realize that in Africa, for us to be successful, you have to do everything yourself. You basically have to create an organization that is capable of running a world-class business in utter chaos. Yeah, despite the challenges. Yeah. Despite the very, very big you know, challenges. And, and but, but one thing that I cannot protect myself from is social unrest. And it is by far the biggest risk to our business. 
because if I can't harvest my crop or um, for whatever reason there's unhappiness, there's un there could be unhappiness with me, you know, I, I can't pay more, I, I'm, mm -hmm. my back is against the wall. You could pay more if you don't have to pay a million rand for diesel. That's true, you know. <laughs> or quarter of a million rand to break a broken generator. But <laughs> to break a broken generator. <laughs> to, to fix a broken <laughs> yeah. generator. Because yeah. <laughs> it's working so hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, you know, and to, and to maintain my trucks that I've got to go 10Ks down a dirt road for the most economically active portion of this little area, yet they choose to, you know, they choose to tar roads past grain farms that employ 0.01 people per hectare and I'm employing three during the year and ten during the harvest. Where's the logic behind mm. that? Where's the thinking behind that? Where's the people making conscious decisions about how to facilitate growth and development in this country? It's absent. Shall I order something stronger from the kitchen? <laughs> uh, we will also a bit fat for now, but you know. I'm sorry. No, no it's but, tough. But, I'm but, sorry we got here at a time where you yeah, are but, frustrated. But, but I think if, you know, it, 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 it's good. It's good to tell us. It's good to talk about it. It, it, it. You know, and it's not. It's not just in South Africa. The whole world currently is completely upside down. Yes. You know, and, and there's, there's, there's profiteering. I, I mean, the profiteering by the shipping companies is absolutely... High seas piracy. Not, not just the shipping companies. The, the, like the, we spoke about it now before we came here. Um, the fertilizer companies and the chemical companies. There's a lot, yeah. yeah it's, they're just exploiting it. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, and... and but, you know, that's business, that's the opportunities. But, you know, if, if, you know, if you kill the goose that lays the golden egg, the goose is dead. You know, <laughs> you know but, but, and I guess this is where us, is, where we farmers are so resilient and, and, and so, uh, hmm, unbusiness minded about the way we do things. Farmer's um, best year is always next year. Yeah, but you know, some of it is 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 not unbusiness minded. It's it's the nature of what we do. You can't make a you cow, have to be tenacious. You you can't make a cow unpregnant. Mm. You know, so yeah. and you can't. You, you, I mean, I I had a conversation with my guys, and I said, guys, how do we turn the orchards off, like the steel mills, you know, take yeah. plants out of action. Look, they looked at me as if I was absolutely off my rocker, crazy. But that's the reality. That's what business do. They just say, okay, and and we can't. You know, how do we do that? We go and chop down trees. You know, go and take out hectares. 
Uh, and two weeks time when you get the wage increase and then it takes three years to get back to where it was. Well, no, it's 10 years to break even, mm. you know. Um, yeah, how, how do we, oh, we can take the less productive orchards out of, out of, out of, out of. Somebody still has to chop them down. You, you do, but at the end of the day, you know, those orchards are, are contributing to what you're doing here. If I take 10 <laughs> orchards out, I need to take a manager and, and how do I just take a wedge out of my business. The team that I've spent 20 years building, I take that wedge out. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's where farmers are and businessmen like, but, you know, because we don't view it as cut and dried as that. But on, on, on that subject, if, uh, to, to change it around a little bit, if you say that there's some farmers or growers that's unbusinesslike and a lot of the people we work with on a daily basis are, are, are is really big businesses. Can you see somebody like that bringing in an independent CEO, getting somebody that used to work for a big corporate company and employing them as, to run the company and somebody like you just being a farmer? Oh, will agriculture go that way? Undoubtedly. Uh, I mean, it's already happening. You know, big corporate agriculture is is on the go. And I mean, we we don't want to do that. We as a business and as a family, we definitely don't want to do that. Mm. You know, we we want to be a professionally run agricultural business. We don't want to be a corporate business. Mm. You know, that's that's why people come to agriculture. That's why. A lot of the people that I've got in my team are here because they're, they're sick and tired of the, mm. the way that the corporate world works mm. and how it doggy dog, you know, completely unfeeling and, <laughs> and, 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 and unemotional. And, and, you know, I, I can't farm like that and I can't work with a team like that, you know, because we're real people, you know, we're not mm. machines. Um, we kind of just fell into the podcast. And we started to talk about the big issues. Mm. But you've now spoken about we. Mm. Who's we? Who's Chiltern Farms? Sure. <laughs> That's where we should have started. But oh, then you would have got the tears a lot sooner. <laughs> Chiltern uh, was founded by my grandfather and my grandmother. Okay. And um, When was that? 1954. Oh. Children was started in 1954, established in 1954, and um, apple farming business. Yeah, I mean this farm was was a um, it was called Dachbreak then, and it was a sheep farm but had some peach trees, and so we've been exporting fruit from the very first season that my grandfather started here. I mean, can you imagine exporting peaches from here in 1954? Incredible. But, but he did. Yeah. And, and I don't know whether it was 50 or 100 boxes or whatever it was that they exported, but they exported. God knows what they looked like when they got to the other side, but the competition probably wasn't great either. Someone <laughs> bought them. <laughs> and, and, I mean, so it went, you know, from, from, from those days. And, I mean, you know, my granddad was a real pioneer and a, and a hard guy. You know, he was... As pioneers are, you know. Um, they have to be tough to make it work. Oh, and worked hard. Eh? Mm -hmm. Jeez, he worked hard. Um, 
you know, I you know, I wasn't around, but my, my dad's told me how it went, you know. He was an engineer with, with Ninim Shan, now Oricon. And uh, so he would, let's just start the day at uh, at five o'clock in the morning and he'd get the farm up and running and ready and going. And then he would uh, visit his, um, let's say from 10 o'clock onwards, he'd be at his engineering sites and he'd do his site inspections and whatever uh, was required on on on, uh-huh. on his engineering sites. And then he'd come home in the late afternoon and, and check what progress had been made on the farm, etc. Eat dinner, back to the drawing board, uh, quite literally, and do all his engineering drawings up until sure. one o'clock in the morning and mm-hmm. start again on the next day at five. Wow. Um, for many years, not just for... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, that didn't go on for, for a day or two, you know. That went on for the first couple of years. You know, obviously with with um, you had a very accommodating uh, uh, engineering firm that allowed him mm. to do that, but you know he built all the dams around here. You know, he I remember you telling me, mm. and I also yeah. remember you telling me that y- you had faith to build a dam during the drought. Oh, and aren't I in trouble now? Oh, really? <coughs> I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to, well, to, 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 to <laughs> go down that drought. Sorry. No, well, I, I had to sign a letter for the Department of Water and Sanitation today, but yeah. Anyway, such is life. Um, one of the dams we we repaired was quite well repaired. Um, let's okay. leave it at that. Um, but yeah, no, we built dams in the drought like crazy people. But haven't they just uh, stood us in unbelievably good stead? Yeah, I remember it was I, full with, it was when I was here in twenty twenty. Yeah. You showed me the dam. And you said I built this in the drought. Everyone thought we were mad. Have faith. The rain came. The dam's yeah. full. Yeah. But now, sorry to hear that there's a little bit of... There's a wrinkle in that story now. But, mm. yeah, such is life. Um, you know, and and so that that's that's how it started. My dad and my granddad didn't have the greatest of relationships, and I was affected by that. But that notwithstanding, I always wanted to be here. You know, it's... Well, that's always an interesting question because you might grow up in a farming family, but you still have the choice whether you want to join it or not. Yeah. So if it's something you always wanted to do, and here you are. But did you did you get into the farm straight off the school? Or no, we're not allowed to do that here. Oh. Um, but I committed to my family when I was a, a late teenager, I guess, early varsity, and said, you know, this is what I want to do. You know, I I will come to the farm and I will I will do what I I need to do and. Would you like us to come back another day? No, 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 no. This always gets me that I made it back to the farm ten days. Before my grandfather passed away, and while he was still able, 
we were able to have a very good conversation <laughs> about the future of the business. And I made a commitment to him that I will continue his legacy and if possible, pass it on to the next generation. You want to, you want to take a break? You good? This is kind of par for the course when it comes to this subject. And so that's why I'm here and that's why I do what I do. Because right from the very beginning, you know, Oh, it was always like that. And I mean, it's 20 years since Grandpa passed away. Well, it will be 20 years in December next year. But 19 years. So you and are you are, you are are committed. You came back, you, saw, you were with your grandpa, yeah. and you committed. And I mean, I'd love to say I'm unemotional about what we do here, but let's just be... That's not going to work. Yeah, it's an out-and-out. <laughs> out out. It would be a lie to myself. It would be a lie to others, but... I would say that I'm unemotional about the land. Mm. I'm emotional about the business and what Chilton offers and what Chilton can do. Mm. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, I read a lot, read too much probably, but... You read all the articles we post. Uh, I appreciate that. And... Um, in the last 18 months, I've been struggling with what is the purpose for Chilton? You know, why do we exist? Why do we, you know, what what is Chilton? Why is Chilton here? And what does Chilton do? And I've distilled it, you know, probably as recently as, in fact, I distilled it on the way back from Madrid. Um, and it's very simple, and that's to keep farmers farming. That is what we've been doing. For three generations of majors, that's what we've been doing. You know, Grandpa did it in the early days, building farms for them, enabling them to create irrigation schemes. Mm -hmm. You know, that that was who he was in the in in the early part of his career in in South Africa. And then when he became a farmer, by showing them and proving them, because he was such a pioneer, and he was you know, he was twice, you know, really um, quite different. Um, and, you know, was definitely an, always an engineer, but, uh, you know, the kind of pioneering crazy stuff that he did, you know, and experimentation and innovation, you know, you know, some of which we still live with today, which is of immense value, you know. So there's a huge and legacy there that, I mean, and, and that you committed to that yeah. and that, that you see it going on. But it's of value. Of course. It's of such immense It's invaluable. Value, you know, to, mm. to, to, and, and I mean, the stories that people tell me, I mean, I experienced my grandfather as a particularly difficult man, you know, but the, the care and nourishment that he gave to people was, was really quite yeah. something, you know, so well... He was a very hard man. He was also a very caring man and a very, hmm. uh, um, you know, you know. <laughs> I mean, one of the stories that I really love about Grandpa is that when he came here, I mean, he was English, English, English. And uh, he bought the farm. 
and he then came and introduced himself to the people on the farm and the manager, etc., etc. Sorry, if I'm interrupt, was he in South Africa at that stage already? Or he was, yes, because he was working for Ninam Shand, and he okay. was based in in oh, see, um, okay. in Cape Town. But when he came here and he bought the farm, and and you know, he says, guys, you know, everybody can carry on working here, but from Monday, the dops of the system is gone. Mm. 1954. No more dorp system. Well, on Monday he had one guy left, old Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was the only employee that said, I can work without the dorp system. But on Monday there was nobody because <laughs> everybody refused to. Uh, I can imagine. Yeah, back, back It was then. not a popular call, let's put it that way. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But it was the right call. And that's, yeah. you know, Grandpa just said there's absolutely no ways I'm going to live with this system and I refuse to perpetuate it. Mm. And Jeremiah's descendants still work in this business. That's incredible. Yeah. and um, That's a story. That's actually a story on its own. Yeah, of course it is. Um, and there's the beacon of hope. It is there. Yeah. Jeez, we've got to polish it so that it shines. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, that's, you know, and... And my grandfather actually uh, uh, was one of the founder members of the kind of consolidated apple industry. And in fact, my grandfather appointed Anton Raba. So, you know, that's as far back as... Wow. And, and Anton's been with... What's your Port grandpa's Grove. Christian name? John. Okay, so he was John and then he was Johnny. Nigel and, uh, and yeah. then there's you. And now there's Justin. And... Um, uh, his nickname in Fayeboom was Johnny Waterhond because he was always running around the water channel seeing who's taking all the water. Because <laughs> <laughs> in, in the bad old days when there was a flay here, yeah. then, you know, it was like a siku khata and, and yeah. all of that stuff. But it was the most amazing sponge, huh? mm. you know, and provided water all year round. But obviously, you know, if your neighbors uh, took too much, then you got nothing. Cause, well, in the farming mm. community, there's always a thing you can... You can touch, you can trust your, your neighbor with your wife, but not with your water. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard many stories about water steel in the middle of the night. So, yes, yeah, to watch Johnny, the water, Johnny you've got to keep your eyes on the water. And everybody in Fayetteville has a nickname. Um, yes. I've yet to find out what mine is, but I'm sure it'll come out. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, that was Grandpa and... and and so that commitment is, is ever fresh. It will never diminish. And so my resolve to do what I have to do here is... That's it. Done. Yeah, well... You know, um, it doesn't matter how hard it is and how difficult it becomes, you know... Commitment is commitment. You know, and, and you know, I will not shy away from it. Talk about something else. Mm. Berry industry. Oh God! <laughs> Is it, are you tired on on a Friday afternoon? Yes, it's up, but it's Vicky up. What yeah. would you like to talk about? No, we can talk about the berry industry. I can talk about the berry industry. What What made you? I mean, you've you've outlined your family's history. The choice to start with something different, something like the berry industry, um, from from producing apples. You guys went into berries. Tell us. It was quite accidental, 
uh, Frank Spratt, I don't know if you ever come across Frank Spratt, but um, he, he did a stint here when our technical manager of the day, William Bayliss, went on, on sabbatical. And mm -hmm. so he did a year here. And after he finished here, I can't remember if he went indirectly or directly, he went to go and work up at Coromandel, which was Sydney Press's farm. Where's that? Sorry, help me. Up near Leidenberg, just outside oh, okay. of Leidenberg. Okay. And that was the first place in my mind that grew blueberries in, in South Africa. Okay. And Sydney Press was, of course, ex-Edgar's. Okay. Back then, and I mean... That farm was a showpiece and the ultimate... I've heard the name Coromandel now that you mean, yeah. but I wasn't sure where it was. The okay. ultimate example of small fortune farming because he okay. took all his Edgar's money and pushed it into this farm and um, to such an extent that his own children took him to court for squandering their inheritance, which I think is just the best. <laughs> <laughs> Like a ski holiday, you know, spend yeah. kids' inheritance. Yeah, no, my parents are doing that. Um, and, and, you know, good for them. Yes. I'll keep working. Um, and, uh, and so, and, and Sydney Press was, you know, he had to have one of everything, uh, which included, at the time, a blueberry farm. And then uh, when we wanted to expand the business, when we got expropriated, we bought Kalikstrom Farm. Uh, and we needed, we, you know, we, we, we took in partners and Frank was one of those partners. Okay. Um, you got expropriated? What happened? What with the Wadcliffe Dam. Oh, the dam. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yep. That was a, yeah, nearly imagine. killed my grandfather. It when was that? It just about undid my father. When was that? So I guess when did, I mean, nine, in the mid-90s we finally settled, or Dad finally settled. The legal documents were 20 lever arch files thick, and mm -hmm. the bill at the time was a million rand. And because we settled on the steps, everybody pays their own way. Uh, and, you know. It's like a taboo. Fun. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I think if, if sure. you know, if Grandpa had been... Uh, less emotionally attached to the land, if but it wasn't just that, you know, uh, it it was our staff village, you know. Um, there's Steve Artscliffe down on the, on the picture there yes. behind you of Chilton, mm -hmm. and there where you see between the two dams, yes. that was our staff village. Sure. Uh, and sure. the law at the time, and I don't know if it still exists, but the 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 way in which you were recompensated for your improvements were at cost of building or your mm. at your initial cost, not at the cost of replacement. And sure. we had uh, we had twenty five three bedroom houses plus a community centre and 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 it all went under the water. Uh, Is the building still under the water there? Or was well, we flattened them. They're now underneath the coal stores um, because we used all the building rubble yes. to backfill. as, as, as mm. backfilling underneath our coal stores. So they did have a purpose at the end of the day. But, you know, when you think about having to replace that and the cost of replacing <laughs> that, <laughs> you know, and, you know, you don't build a house for 30 years. You build a house for, you know, houses 
they must stay there. They must no, be they, there. They, they last forever. And, mm. and so once that investment cost is, is sunk, it's sunk. But you've got to do it again. It's really hard. And in this and case, it was literally sunk. It sure. was literally sunk. Anyway, sure. so, you know, we took, we took some of the money that we had. We obviously borrowed some more from the bank. And, and then we started farming on, on Gelukstrom. And in the early 2000s, when I had just come back to the business, we were, and I mean, don't forget, we'd, we'd been through hell with, uh, with the interest rates at 27 mm-hmm. going up to nearly 28%. And we, and we had borrowings that. at the time. And we were desperate to sell Halikstrom so that we could get our head above mm. water again. Uh, and I mean, the environment was so uncertain. We we couldn't get a buyer. And and we'd been farming blueberries since since the mid nineties, uh, but it was just a little old patch that was kind of a bit of a distraction. Little rabbit rabbit eyes, you know. And it wasn't. Yes. I think we farmed it more for ourselves so that we could eat blueberries, but and give them to our friends. But you know, we did. You know, we started. Uh, working with Trevor McKenzie, I don't know, probably in the early 2000s or maybe just before, uh, and he was actually exporting yes. some of that uh, that 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 product um, to various places. Eurofruit, and, uh, yeah, Trevor, good old yeah. good old Eurofruit. Mm. And uh, but you know, with Trevor we started with the first kind of new generation of Southern Highbush. And in fact, you know, we had planned, you know, because we'd planned to sell Longdown, to sell Gelukstrom, we were going to plant these on on Chilton and and Longdown. And thank God we didn't because, you know, Des, my uncle, finally gave up in, I don't know, 2000 and or whenever it was, he says, you can't be half pregnant, we're either farming this thing or we're not. And so we said, well, because we can't sell it, so we may as well farm it. And so we did. And I mean... So you committed to the soil and started (coughs) to plant and... Yeah, and so instead of, you know, instead of planting the blueberries, you know, and ripping up functional apple orchards, we we planted the blueberries down on Gelukstrom on bare land. And thank God we did, because it's actually the right place to grow blueberries, not here... You know, because it's too close to the mountain and mm. blueberries don't like rain. Okay. Mm. Um, and, and back then, did you plant them straight into the soil? Yeah, we were sort of. So the, the methodology at the time was to, like, um, dig a furrow, yeah. which is the – and fill it with, with wood chips. We used to put 200 cubes of wood chip a hectare. 200, 200 cubes? 200,000 cubes. Yeah. Truckloads truck of wood chips. And I Where'd mean, you get all the wood chips from? No, I mean, there was forestry around here. Okay. So, I mean, you know, it was... Yeah, but obviously that might have been pine or blue gum. Yeah, it was pine. Mostly pine. But mostly is it, pine. How was that? They loved it. Okay. They absolutely loved it. And I mean, you know, so, so we've always been in pots and medium. It's just that it was a soil clay pot in yeah. the ground. Okay. And the medium was, was, was wood chips. Okay. And I mean, we, uh, there's no feinbrag, you know, in that we had orchards that delivered 53 tons of hectares of sure. blueberries. 
What is the average? Well, the industry in South Africa is probably somewhere around 12. Wow. At the moment. At the moment. Good Lord. Look, it's not every hectare, and that yeah. is just like the complete... So eight, what? Complete it's, you still hectare. managed it. But we did it. Um, it's like urban legend now. Mm. But, you know, it was achievable. Um, mm. And and in that in that time, I mean, supply was everything. You just had to have blueberries. You, you yes. You know, and everybody just threw money at you, which yes. was fantastic. But, um, you know, it... it, it we, we were able to do that. And, yeah, so things have obviously moved on. We've obviously evolved. But, I mean, since 2005, we've been really investing in our, in our, in our blueberry uh, business. Uh, in 2013, we segregated our berry business in terms of management on a farming level from our, from our apple farming business because we had one farmer farming everything. You know, apples and blueberries, mm-hmm. but they're it, two different personality types that require apple farming and blueberry yes, farming. Yes, I can but understand that. We took an apple farmer and we made him a blueberry farmer, and he's, he's a very good blueberry farmer now. And then uh, and in 2012, we started uh, packing blueberries, and, and from the outset, we commercially packed as well for other growers. So, but, you know, I don't know if you know Stephen Taylor's farm just up the road here at uh, Melpack mm. or Melsoak. Melwood, not Melpack. Um, and so we packed their, their berries from the first season. Dreammaker? Dream yeah, the Dreammaker fruits is, mm. but the, the farm itself is Melwood. And, okay. Yeah, and so, and, so it, and so it's grown from there, and we, we continued to invest, and, and we bought land, and we bought more land so that we could expand our, Close our blueberry by? operation. Yeah, right okay. adjacent. So okay, nice. Started off with Gelukstrom, and then we bought Poplar Grove, which is which is the farm adjacent, uh, and uh, there's maybe you know somebody that can take decent aerial photographs or yeah, can maybe. put these things together for us, um, <coughs> because it's, it's so they're, they're, long, they're long overdue. We know a guy. We know a guy, <laughs> as long as it's not Johan Dempers, because I can't work with him anymore. Gelukstrom, <laughs> so geluk means luck. So Lucky stream. It started off as you didn't think much of it, and... Then it turned out to be a good luck. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> all the, I mean, the serendipitous, uh, it is quite a serendipitous farm, one has to say, in that, you know, because of the, the way the, the interest rates, because it was bought as a stone fruit farm. Okay. We were going to be the next Mr. Plum Hill here. Okay. But, you know, because of interest rates going the way they did, we never actually completed that project. And stone fruit here is a disaster. So thank Why? God. Uh, I think it's also to do with the rain and, you know. Okay. Your weather's not, not good here for stone fruit. Yeah, you need a, I think you need a drier environment for okay. stone fruit. They're quite intolerant. Of, just okay. like, like berries. And then so we didn't farm there and then we ended up farming blueberries there. But, but if you, like, I'm curious now. You said that you, you dug these furrows and you filled them up with wood chips. Now these guys selling pots and medium and ground cover and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, we're into that too. All, all in. Okay. But can you still do it the old way? I don't think so, no. No. So, I mean, what, what, what really... The benefit of the new kind of pots and medium way, and I'm not saying it is the only answer, but for us it is, 
is the that the uniformity mm. is just next level. And I mean, you know, when we did our first uh, structure, pots, medium, you know, it was the showcase of the industry. Eh? I mean, it was just magnificent. It, it was, is quite magnificent to see. You know, that, that, that photograph with the, with, the, with the tunnels, you know, that, that site, which is, you know, geometrically creates such a beautiful image. Uh, and... Um, but that was like the showpiece. And mm -hmm. I mean, it was the biggest of its time and the first of its kind yeah. in, 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 in South Africa. And it was when five, was that? Five when hectares, did you, when did 2015. You put that in, 2015. Five hectares, 100,000 mm -hmm. plants. You know, it was just mm. going to be the thing. And it was Snow Chaser, which was a good variety and had lots of promise. Uh, and I think we had zero mortality in that. Uh, wow. In, That's phenomenal. In, in, in that investment. I mean, you used to stand at the top there and you look down those tunnels and it was just magnificent. Mm -hmm. And the uniformity. And that's really the, the big one on, um, on, on these pots and medium and tissue mm. culture. You know, this really high investment. Yeah. Um, but also it comes with a, with a greater degree of certainty. <laughs> Except... We couldn't get those bushes pollinated because we'd approached it. I mean, these are the kind of school gelder you pay as a farmer. We approached it with the same kind of chemical regimes as we did farming outside. Okay. But, of course, they were farmed in a contained environment. No rain, no wind, no sunshine, no direct sunshine. And, you know, what I come to realize now is that we, we put a product on them that was Apps, you know, within normal spec, you know, the whole, mm. whole normal label protocol, everything. But because the breakdown curves were so different and bees are so sensitive to this product, uh -huh. they wouldn't touch those plants. And so we had like a zero pollination rate. Oops. And we, <laughs> we had a comps. So this showpiece went from being this absolute showpiece to this dog. Because <laughs> And but then was that on the first season that in the first season that they were supposed to to, to to carry a crop, there was no crop. So I mean we built these absolutely beautiful plants, but there was no crop. So how did you figure that out? Well, you know, geez, we did a lot of stuff there. We hung shapes, we painted colours, we because we just thought that, that it was the D that it was disorientation for the bees. The bees couldn't figure out mm. yeah. what was mm. going on there. Especially inside nets or tunnels. It's, yeah. That is an issue. But, you know, but we'd, we'd, had, we'd had the other set of nets, which is, uh, you can't see them, oh, there, down the bottom left-hand okay. corner of Gelugstrom. Yeah. And this, I mean, this was taken in preparation. That's where this, that new five-hectare tunnel okay. establishment took place. So, I mean, back in, this is 20, these are taken in, uh, in December 2014, I think. <laughs> so, and then, as they say, and then. And so we took these plants, and I mean, under those other new, those other tunnels, mm. the bees were working were absolutely happy as they Flat topped tunnels. Flat topped. No, 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 also, also oh. these okay. hooped structures. Was it A-grove tunnels? A-grove tunnels. And so eventually, you know, our farm manager, and he's brilliant, he take, took a took a bush and went and put it in the existing tunnels. And he watched the bees and they would go, happy, 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 fly around, happy, happy, happy. They and just didn't go to that, that they bush? They would not touch that plot. 
I would absolutely not touch that plant. Why? Because of the agrochem that we confidor. So it didn't break down as quick. Oh, it was something you sprayed on the plant that they didn't like. Yes, but, but in, the, in those controlled, super controlled environments, it didn't break down as quick as what it would have done yeah. under okay. normal under I mean, other it circumstances. Was, it, was, it was, we would have put the confidor on him. What does confidor do? Uh, no, you mustn't ask backhouse people what agrochemicals okay. do. You know. um, it does its magic, okay? It does yeah. what it has to do. Okay. Kills, kills bugs or hohos, one of the two. Or, or, okay. or, it's so the next year you obviously didn't, you didn't like. use it the next year? Yeah. No, we still used it, but we then realized that, you know, there's something very different here. And then we, and we also, we dispelled the myth that, you know, plastic is actually, a, uh, is actually not great. You know, we took the plastic off, we ripped the plastic off. Uh, and we only then use the plastic to protect the crop, not to keep the plants in this mm -hmm. hyper-controlled environment. So that's what we did. So, so, what, you, so what does the fruit set that when you figured this out? No, this back to normal, 100%. Right. Then we went to we went to 30 plus tons a hectare on that on that product. On that, the on best that way to learn is always the hard way. Yes, <laughs> yes indeed. You know it sir. <laughs> Yes. Especially seen as we'd shown everybody yes. that it was anybody this fantastic development because mm -hmm. it just looked the business and then it was a dog and then it was like... But then you got it sorted. We, it was definitely the, the uncle in prison nobody talked about. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. So, so, I mean, we've been in Berry since the mid-90s. Mm. So. But okay. really since 2005... We really started uh, with the new genetics, the Southern High yeah. Bush, that harvested in the new window, if we can put mm. it that way. And then, you know, we've we just continued investing. And uh, so the new genetics that have come in have changed the blueberry industry entirely globally. I mean, correct. And thirty years ago, we didn't know what blueberries were. We bought them frozen from the supermarket, and they normally a, came from or North in a America. Tin. You want a tin? Or in a muffin. Yes. So no, they were never in a muffin. No? So, so fresh... <laughs> that's, that's only over the last 20 years. He's, he's younger. <laughs> fresh blueberries were not something that we knew. No. It was not something that we knew. And, I mean, even when I was here last, about two years ago, you were talking about blueberries going from, from having to go by ship, yeah. from having to go by air to being able to go by ship. So, I mean, that's also massive improvement on the, the type of varieties that yeah. make them tougher so For that sure. you can export them by ship. The time the time that it takes to, to ship something. Yeah, they are I mean they, they they're more robust and and so lately I mean so in terms of the transition of, of of blueberry genetics, so I mean the first thing that they that they did was get blueberries into the time slots that were vacant, yes. if we can call it that way. Then they started with size. Everything's most got to be bigger is better. Mm -hmm. And so they started with size. But size came at a price and, it, you know, firmness, texture, taste, all were kind of forgotten or, or didn't have the appropriate level of focus or the... Mm, I can't really cast any stones, but you know the kind of the focus was too much towards size mm -hmm. and f 
forgetting about the other characteristics. The other important factors, yeah. You know, and not everybody. And and I would say Ridley, who who's the the breeder of of mountain uh, for the MBO program. Mm -hmm. You know, he he was always about taste and and, and flavor. You know, size was 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 obviously on the list, of course, mm -hmm. but always uh, contained that taste and flavor element in taste and taste. Taste, flavor, texture was always, I mean, he just mm -hmm. eats blueberries. When he walks around a, a blueberry field testing samples, he's just eating berries the whole time. Yeah. I don't know how well, his stomach... Well, the, the proof of the pudding is in the eating thereof. I mean, yeah. we, we saw, we were in California earlier this year, mm -hmm. and we visited blueberry farms, and they had... We went to a blueberry packhouse. We could, the, the farms were finished uh, harvesting. And the interesting thing was they were packing fruit from California, mm -hmm. like right end of the season, and then there was a shipment of Peruvian berries in there. Mm. And he made us taste the Californian stuff, which was okay. Um, it I was, I've tasted it didn't better. look like much, but it mm. tasted yes, good. And the Peruvian stuff was like beautiful, yeah. but it was sour as hell. It wasn't nice. Was this Dave Jackson? No. Somebody Lamb, Jeff Lamb. Uh, no, I don't. Yeah, they're just a pack house, and they got a couple of small orchards. Yeah. We went to see Family Tree. And yeah, that's yeah. Dave Jackson. Yeah, it was, we fam it was family tree. The we were there. Was quiet. We, we, uh, we just saw who was available there. Yeah. Well, they Dave, told us they've got some investment somewhere in Africa with something. But the, the guy that told us is from them wasn't sure where. Yeah, Dave Jackson, um, you know, they've got something, I think, going up in Ethiopia, but I, I don't know enough. But Dave Jackson in Peru is the uh, MBO license holder in Peru. Okay. So they have, they have very similar genetics. And, but it was interesting that we literally stood there and had the opportunity to taste two different ones. The big ones looked yeah. beautiful, but... Beautiful bloom, everything. Very, like very sour. Yeah. And that's, that was just our experience. So Look, it's Peru, Peru as, a, as a country is a really fantastic place to produce blueberries. And, and I mean, they've demonstrated that. Mm -hmm. I mean, in 2010, I had more hectares of blueberries than did Peru. Good heavens. Yeah, so what the hell have I been doing for the last 20 years? I know, the last 12 years, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's, that's exactly it. Yeah. You know, South Africa could have been mm. Peru. Mm. That's the reality, eh? With the right level of investment and infrastructure and ability to service a market. And government support. It could have been mm. South Africa. That for me is that you know, okay. There's a much north-south alignment between Peru and 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 America, and there's probably Peruvians have been working in America, and you know, but Peruvian companies have moved into that whole thing. There's 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 lots of reasons for that, but just but somebody saw the gap. Yeah, but it could just as well as being yes, South Africa. And South Africa supplying into Europe. Well, okay, but America's a proper blueberry consumption. Uh, mm. You know, three kilos per per capita. You know, per year. Whereas, you know, in Europe, the most sophisticated or the the, the highest consumption is in the UK, and that's eight hundred and something grams. I think it is eight hundred and sixty grams per person. Per person. Per, per year. year. Sure, that's one tub. Yeah. Oh, a tub and a half. Yeah, it's next, man. Yeah. And Europe. In general, Europe's a big place, but mm. let's just say Europe. I've got no idea. 26 grams. 
Sure. That's, well, the, you see, that's that, the opportunity. You grow yeah. Europe to be the size of, or, or to of the Britain. consumption of Britain. We'll never be able to grow enough berries. But you have to drive that consumption. Yes. Uh, what will drive that consumption? Well, good quality berries available consistently that drives repeat purchase. Do they grow berries, uh, berries they in, do. in Europe? Yes, they do. But is it growing? Those ones. Oh. Uh, you know. <laughs> they don't get any sunshine, man. How can they taste like anything? Yes. You know, and, and, and. Listen, that, that's what, well, she joked that I'm not younger, but it, I never bought a blueberry because they tasted like crap. The ones that you, that you would buy in the, the checkers or something. Yeah, it just nice. wasn't nice. If, or if somebody puts blueberry on a, on a cheese platter, it's the thing that stays behind. Nobody ate it. It's because de decoration. Yeah. Because it's so expensive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, so, I mean, you know, a lot of work's been done to, to, it's, it's to work phenomenal, on the taste actually, and flavor. It's phenomenal yeah. how the industry has grown, how the, the new varieties have changed perceptions. Mm. I mean, let's face it, if, if you get a tub of blueberries and they're nice, it's the, one of the easiest things to eat. Mm. You don't need a knife. You don't need a spoon. You just throw right, it in your mouth. But we must actually, we must actually get Linnell to organise us some. But, uh, but if you but you'll if get you, some on the farm. If you get, you, eat, you can eat as much as you can. <laughs> so well, thank you. So as we're having to try and sell them. <laughs> but but if you if you if you give a person that don't know, if you give them these things that are, they're crunchy, it tastes amazing. It's like a light bulb that goes off. Yeah. Same with grapes. No, same for with sure. yeah. Most for sure. And I mean, there's. You know, there's 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 varieties of blueberries now that that can match the kind of taste, flavour, and crunch of the best grape. You know, mm. for sure. We, um, we, we somebody gave us a comment saying that if it wasn't for the if the grape industry didn't adapt to cultivate, the blueberry industry would have overtaken them. The consumption. I don't, I don't know. No, I don't think so. Not necessarily locally, but internationally. I think that's going to be a tough one, but yeah, you know, it, it possible. But the the comment was let me put a bit, put a sharper point on it. It was um, the variety, the new varieties, the new seedless varieties in table grapes mm. came along at a time where table grapes were really battling against actually in in the European and, and the UK market against things like strawberries mm. and other berries, including blueberries, yeah. and that seedlessness being able to change over to seedless grapes um, made the category more appealing again after you had always had to spit the pips. As, as we always used to joke about the grape industry, the British people didn't want to spit pips anymore. They liked the seedless, mm. seedless stuff. So I think that, that was a comment. You know, the grapes always stood behind the berry industry. But be that as it may, I think the growth in South Africa of the, the blueberry industry and... I mean, the formation of the Berries a Day, that's quite an exciting change and it's quite an yeah. exciting uh, progression. So just to answer the genetics thing in South Africa, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Isn't it? And South Africa has the widest possible range of genetics, wider than any other country in the world. Are you talking about blueberries? Yes. Uh, yeah, and we've got the box I've, and dice I've, I've here. I've heard eh? we've got the best. We've yeah. got everything. Yeah. No, we've just got everything. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Good, bad, indifference. Did they all just come to South Africa or was it... Or well, just it was people? like, yeah, you know, we South Africans are hopeless at working together. 
and uh, and almost Mark was my compass, you know. You know yeah. and, and we had these very three, and and it talks to the stories that that is very South Africa. But we had these three very distinct camps. Mm. We had the Eurofruit, the Haygroves, uh, Costas Driscolls, let's mm-hmm. call it Haygrove, and United Exports, and near the Twain shall meet mm. or mix, huh? And cards close to your chest like this. Yeah, and, and yeah. very, very much like that. And trying to and get onto a beauty farm to take a photo was yeah. like near impossible. Mm. Yeah, you, you didn't know me soon enough. But, you know, um, and and so there was this really intense local competition. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were looking in the wrong direction, you know. We were so looking in the wrong direction. We should have been watching what's going on elsewhere. Yes. Because then maybe that would have galvanized us into action mm. a lot sooner. Instead of fighting the guy next to you, look no. across the waters. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, South African farmers, we're an independent lot and we don't like to be told what to do. And and it is in our very nature and I'm no different, so I can't mm. cast any, mm. uh, uh, you know, arrows. Mm. But, you know, yeah. And but that also creates this opportunity for people to bring in more genetics and other genetics. And it's not necessarily better. Mm. It's just different mm. or other or differently aligned. And so we've got like we exported like I don't know, sixty, seventy varieties this year or last year. Peru, nineteen. They've got nineteen varieties in total in Peru. Yeah. Sure. Look, it's, they're not going our direction. We need to go there. We, we need to meet somewhere halfway in between. But remembering that Peru, 80% of their volume is five companies. Oh, wow. 95% of their volume is 20 companies. They have 25 total. Okay. Yeah. 25 companies. Growers or 25 organizations, growing operations, farming operations. Wow. So, so, so it is a little few players mm. working very well in concert with one another. Clearly, and yeah. again, with their government. We're, we're 90, mm. and we're definitely not working in concert. Mm. You know? and, and that, I mean... That's where Berry, South Africa, should find its natural territory. Mm. Um, <laughs> and you're getting the three camps into one arena to cooperate and to work collaboratively together to address industry-based uh, problems has been a real challenge. You know, are like you, it are has you, been. Are you making headway? No, I'm winning. No, I'm not. I haven't Fantastic. made headway. I, I, I do believe we've won that. Fantastic. I, I do believe we've got all the parties now around the table and cooperating. Can it be better? Of course. Can we share more openly? Of course. But, you know, that's something you've got to grow towards. But, yes. Uh, having better collaborative approach and uh, at least discourse and to find unity but by God, was it a battle. You know? <laughs> I can well imagine. I know the expression they say, getting, getting farmers to work together is like trying to herd cats down a highway. Yeah, no, there's a different one. Eh? It's trying to load frogs in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 
Yes. You know, one of those, not one flat of those ones. steep-sided builders yeah. one. We're talking about the flat <laughs> agricultural number. Plat anders in a plat kruiver, yeah. That's, that's uh, well said. Anyway, so, so I, I do believe we've won that battle. That's good um, to know. But it's, it's... And you have a new CEO? And Brent is, Brenton is, is on board, and, and I am so eternally grateful. But, I mean, you know, the appointment, you know... Um, I go away every December. It's my sanity break. It's my spiritual recharge. Mm. If I don't do it, I'm unplayable. I'm unplayable sort of like from the end of January anyway, but at least from the 15th of January to the end of January, I'm at least playable. But um, And I came back in January. When did we appoint Brent? Now this year. So I came back in January 2021, and I just said, Berry, South Africa, must have a CEO. And and I'd already been working up to it with 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 the board, and I'd been given the mandate mm-hmm. to go and seek out the CEO. And I came back and said, "Okay, now's the right time." And I received a letter from one of the big players saying, "We're out," you know, because of all of the shenanigans that went on at the back end of 2020. You know, with all that horrible PBR stuff that went on and in the back end of, of 2020. And so one of the bigger players said, we're out of Berry, South Africa. And that was our revenue stream gone or, or severely disrupted. And I won't employ somebody if, if I don't have the security to pay their salary at the end of the month. You know, so, mm. so we couldn't do it. And it took until September to put that thing back together again. And we did. Uh, but it, it took a long time. And a huge investment of time and effort to, mm. and at, well, at, you're the pioneers at, of the industry making at, these things happen at, at personal cost, you know. And um, but we did it uh, and enabled us to appoint Brent uh, the back end of January 20 this year, and he started on the first of April at uh, or the second of April at at in in. Logistic in Berlin. That was his mm. first day on the job. Was following LZ and I around uh, around uh, Fruit Logistica, which was probably one of the best introductions yes. you could have to the the, <laughs> the wider fruit industry. Uh-huh. You know, it's like, oh, is it like this <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> all the time? No, no, it's not quite like this all the time. But, yeah. but Fruit Logistica is something that anybody in the fruit industry should visit at some point. No, of course you must. You must you, see it. You, you know, you must go there. Um, and but you must go there with a purpose. You know. But yes, if you're in the fruit industry, you should go and at mm-hmm. least look see. But yeah, it should be with a purpose. So because otherwise is, you're, one of, those, you're is, one of those people wandering around, wandering yes. around the aisles and getting in my way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and all the all the different all the different languages and all the different fruit types out there. It's a bit it's very bewildering. You need to yeah. be there for a reason, otherwise you'll get lost. Your fruit logistic here in Berlin, you walk about twenty k's a day. Yes. yes. You see interesting things you hear, it's and you hear the t- it's like the Tower of Babel, all the different languages. Yeah, but okay, so we started with the challenges. Mm. Um, following the recent strike and the drama and all the rest. I've also seen that you're kind of picking up the pieces and getting on with things. Any comment on that? Look, how I mean, 
the disruption to our marketing campaign, I don't know if we're actually going to be able to count the cost. Oh. Because the disruption to our market, you know, the whole energy crisis, the cost of living crisis, you know, if... You know, I don't like these guys talking about black swans because it sounds like an excuse to me. Mm. You know, it's like, oh, it's a black swan event. We couldn't have done anything. Yes. But probably we're not far off um, that that's actually... All, all the stuff all happening at the same time. Yeah, it's probably fairly legitimate. Uh, until he's ready for you, can he, can, he can sit and join in if he wants or... You can wait as we you... We are actually, we can also, give us, give us three or four minutes. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, that, that was what it was, huh? You know, and it, mm. feels, it, it feels that way. And, the, uh, you know, whenever you disrupt the market or you disrupt the, the, the campaign, you know... Yeah, the, 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 drain. The, the fallout is... You don't catch up. ...is, is significant and... and because there's so much differential anyway, you know, are we ever going to be able to count the cost? But I mean, you know, being uh, in Bangkok last week, you know, this, I mean, the market is just so disrupted. The, I'm going to call it oversupply from Peru, fruit being sent into the market. It, 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 it can't be covering their costs, mm. you know, it just can't be, you know, their currency, which is obviously linked to the dollar, so I mean, if you look how the dollar has strengthened to the euro, they've taken a 20% devaluation, and the kind of spot price at the moment for Peruvian blueberries at three euros, I can't even produce it for three euros, I can, but I mean, you know, it's mm. to deliver it in market from Peru to Europe at three euros. It's impossible. Mm. You know, it's it's it can't be feasible. You know, uh, and you know you also you also saw the disruption in 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 Asia, diverting fruit out of China. You know, fruit on offer at seven dollars a, a a box, five rand five dollars a kilo. You know, sure. into, in, you know. We can't supply it at that. You know, that's way below cost of production. Packing and packaging mm. is 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 beyond that. So I don't know. You know, so uh, and at a time when more fruit is available from a greater diversity of exporters mm -hmm. because of the the greater diversity. So I mean, of of operations. So you know a less consolidated supply into a disrupted market with many more players is like worse than the deregulation oh, moment that the Apple industry mm -hmm. went through in the early, in the late 90s, mm -hmm. early, early, early noughties. So, yeah. Are we going to survive? The resilient will, those with deep pockets, yeah, hopefully we'll survive. Uh, but yeah, it's a very it's a very tough place for the blueberry industry, and and 
They always say that nothing changes at the top and nothing changes at the bottom. It's it's somewhere in between and hopefully we're now at the bottom and we can start affecting change on the way to the top um, because it can't continue like this. We have to have uh, uh, more positive outlook about what's possible and what's feasible and we need people to take our hands and walk and walk that journey with us you know because you know we can't do it alone thank you very very much for chatting mm -hmm. to us and i mean you were very honest and you told us how things really are right at the at the coal face of having to cope with all the challenges that you're dealing with mm. we really wish you luck with the future and we really hope things will turn around and um, good luck with being continuing to be a shining beacon of hope. Mm. I think you already are that. Mm. Good luck with keeping that up under the very difficult circumstances. Yeah. Um, and we hope that what our plan is with this podcast going forward is that it gets to the people that needs to hear the message. That is, that is our yes. That is yeah. our. Hopefully, you'll edit out the more emotive bits, but you know. Those are yes. th those are those are real, you know. Those, they are real. That's that's where we where we find ourselves, yes. and I mean, you know, <laughs> October, November, December are just hell months for me because it's it's absolutely unrelenting uh, pressure. You know, you've got to close out the the apple and pear season. You've got to. You've got to bring home the, the berry season. You've got to plan for the next one. You've got to do Well, I hope many, your December break too many things will in not too be little too, time. It's, it's, it, you can almost see it already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know we're going to get there. Of course, we will get there and, yeah. and we will but charge, oh, we we'll charge the batteries and we'll come out fighting in January. Good. Darcy. Where's the farmers in the best year? Next year. Darcy. Volgende year. Yo, There we go. <laughs> and it is. It yeah. looks fantastic. Like it always does.